Good morning and welcome to Pleasant Street Christian Reformed Church. It's good to see all of you here in person together today on a chilly day. The sweaters have come out, it seems like. Um, and for those of you joining us online, I hope that you are comfortable as well. Welcome to you. We're glad to have you with us as well today. You all made it right with the time change. The calendar was not able to uh, throw you off yet again. You know, I can't decide at this point if the time change is harder for parents of young kids or church leaders. As someone who is both, congratulations on, on making it this morning. I'm always a little bit worried uh, that, that I'm, I'm not going to make it. So we're here, and it's good to be together. Um, a couple of announcements I want to highlight for you as we are getting started this morning. For, for those of you joining us, whether the first time uh, or this, because this is where you are every week, we worship with a liturgy, and the things that we're going to say and sing together, the themes of our service are found in here, and you can find that on the screens as well so that you can follow along. Uh, the other thing is that we've been doing this gospel formation experiment uh, this fall, trying to find ways to take what we are singing and saying together, and after church, drink some more coffee and snacks, and then go talk about it more together with each other. We're going to do that again today, and then we're going to take a, a break uh, for two Sundays for November 14th and for the 21st. So we've been trying this experiment. We're going to take a little break after this, after this Sunday, um, and then we'll, we'll address that again, uh, again later uh, at the start of Advent at the end of November. Um, but for today, uh, while gospel formation is happening for our Kids Street Age kids, for our Echo Age kids, and our sermon discussion, if you are involved in worship ministries in any capacity, uh, downstairs in the foundation after church today, we're going to be having a, a listening session as we continue to explore together uh, moving into a new season of, of hiring a new director of worship, one of the really important ways we will know where God is leading us is by having a chance to talk to the people involved in those ministries. And so if you are involved in any way, please do join us after the, the service. There's going to be coffee and, and snacks and bagels down there, the special stuff uh, for you guys today. Um, and so uh, that being said, um, I will also mention that for our sermon discussion today, the inestimable uh, John Verisma is going to be leading that because I'll be downstairs. So please, please do join us for that if you're able. Uh, well, friends, uh, a lot can happen in a week. And as we come into this place uh, where we were only a week ago, it's very possible that for like all of you, like in my life, a lot has happened in the last seven days. Um, and as we look back over all the things that happened out there, they inevitably follow us in here. And some of them have been very big bright spots in our lives. And some of them are probably also uh, make us a little bit tired, right? <laughs> yeah, I understand that. The good news, my friends, is that when we come back here, we don't have to leave the past week at the door. We, we get to bring it with us. Right, so in the presence of this God who welcomes all of what our lives have looked like, would you rise in body and spirit? And let's worship. The Lord be with you. And also with you. God invites us into his presence, saying, I am the Lord who heals you. Diseased, depressed, dysfunctional, defeated, we come. 
God meets us saying, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. God beckons us with a gracious call. All who thirst, come to the water. Come, all who are weary, you who earn, yearn for forgiveness. Come, let us celebrate the forgiving, reconciling love of God. Come, let us celebrate and praise the God of love. presence of this God who welcomes us into his presence, who gives us the things that we need even before we know how to ask for them, would you pray with me as we worship this God, creator of all. You formed us in your image and filled us with life-giving breath. We bless you. Even your name is holy. Redeemer of all, you have ransomed and healed us, restored and forgiven us. 
We remember your blessings with thankful praise. Sustainer of all, tune our lives to resonate with the songs of angels. We join the hymn of all creation, praising you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God forever. Amen. Powerful.
may be seated. <clears throat> We've been looking at the book of Jonah together, and throughout this very little story, which we have been walking through very, very slowly, we see this, this incredibly powerful, indescribably uh, creating God, the one who controls the wind and the waves and the sea, um, who can see that his purposes are accomplished even through reluctant servants. Uh, one of the most uh, indescribable features of this God is his mercy. When, um, do, you know the, do you know the adage about the people who say there's two kinds of people in the world? Do you know this one? Uh, they say, it goes like this, there's two kinds of people in the world. Um, there's people who say there's two kinds of people, and then there's the rest of us, right? <laughs> um, and that's a little bit funny and probably true about sometimes how we can be reductionistic, except that spiritually speaking, uh, Jesus tells this parable, this great parable in Luke at a, at a meal gathering where there are the Pharisees on one side and there are the sinners on the other, and, and at the table neither the twain shall meet. Right? And Jesus tells this parable about a father who has two sons, and, and the point of that parable is that uh, there really are, spiritually speaking, two kinds of people. There are two ways for us to be lost, uh, to each other and to God. And if there is one thing that we can see if we look back on just the last week of our lives, it's how easily and how quickly we can get lost from ourselves, from each other, and from God. So in the book of Jonah, one of the things that's really interesting and important is that we see Jonah, in a way, playing both roles. The one who runs from the mercy of God and when he can't escape it, comes back. And then the one who then later steps out from the party because he cannot tolerate to see that mercy expressed to someone else. And the reason that's important is because at one point or another, in the presence of God, we can see that all of us have played one or the other, but probably both of those roles. And so the only hope that we have is to realize just how easily we can get lost. And realizing that, we wake up and remember that we have a Father who will always welcome us home. Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer fit to be called your child, says the Son. Please make me one of your hired laborers. This is his speech he has prepared to God. Let us return to God and make our confession together now. Loving God, there is enough evil within us to dampen our confidence that we could ever come home. We doubt anyone would answer the door. Some days there is enough weariness in us to darken our hope that anything could change. Yet, thankfully, there is also enough hunger in us to keep us unhappy. We are discontent enough to take the road home and 
God of our Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. Please take some time in silent confession. God of monumental patience and of prodigal mercy, forgive your people their numerous sins. Have pity on our pride and folly. Lead us to the fountain of your grace and wash us thoroughly from all that defiles us. Through Christ Jesus, our Redeemer. Amen. One of the most striking features of that story that Jesus tells in Luke 15 is that the younger son is walking home, rehearsing his speech, and when he gets to the father, the father is already looking for him. The father is waiting, and he comes running, and he doesn't even get a chance to say his rehearsed, polished, I'm sorry speech before God embraces him. Jesus told us, then the father said, bring quickly the best clothes for him and put a signet ring on his finger and shoes on his feet and kill the fatted calf and let us eat and celebrate for this is my child who was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. My friends, this fellow Jesus welcomes sinners and even eats with the likes of us. Welcome back home. Would you rise and let's sing? Do you feel the world is broken? Do you feel the shadows deepen? Do you know that all the dark will stop the light from getting through? We do. Do you wish that you could see it all made new? coming is. is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst is. is it good that we remind ourselves of this the grave 
Christ be with you. Go ahead and share that peace with each other now. the kids street kids come up here people of God what is our prayer
Before we go into prayer, there's one item I want to bring to your attention. And we learned this morning that Steve Stinson's mother passed away this morning. Um, we don't have information, which will be released later. But uh, she was declining in health. And the family just asks for traveling mercies on their behalf. So keep that as an item of prayer this morning. Samuel Longhorn Clemens, American writer, entrepreneur, publisher, lecturer, and deemed the greatest humorist who wrote under the pen name of Mark Twain. Among other things, he said, the more I learn about people, the more I like my dog. But the psalmist says, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. I wonder if Mark Twain knew about the second commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. But I do believe the single thought between these two quotes is unconditional love. One a human view and one a godly promise. Good morning and welcome to those that are members and visitors and guests who have traveled afar, those who have gathered in your homes and are worshiping with us online. My name is Jack Croft and I'm an elder here at Pleasant Street. We always pray before the sermon, and you ever wonder why? Well, I was going through the Heidelberg Catechism in Lodge Day 45, and it mentions why we pray before a sermon. It says, because prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness God requires of us, and also because God gives his grace and Holy Spirit only to those who pray continually and groan inwardly asking God for these gifts and thanking him for them. With that in mind, let's go to our God in prayer. Lord, we have endured another Northeaster earlier this past week. As some were inconvenienced by a loss of power, a loss of mobility due to fallen trees, or a lack of gasoline, or a loss of patience because things weren't returned to normal, within our time frame. Some were impacted by damaged property or homes due to fallen trees, rain, wind, and cold temperatures. And some had their right to be angry because their demands and their self-righteous interests were not satisfied. They lashed out at those who came to their aid. Forgive us, Lord, and we are thankful that many have been spared and appreciative to those who came to our aid from far away to bring order from chaos. One person, Phil's brother Josh, was heavily damaged by the storm. But through your grace, no one in the home was injured as a result. For we know that as Christians, our house is built on a firm foundation. Today we again pray for Elder Thalia's mom, Henny, Kay, in Arizona, 
And we see Mark H. here today, who had invasive cardiology surgery on November 3rd at UMass. And obviously he has returned home and will need time with new medications to restore his body from the original effects of COVID virus. We continue to hold him in this time of weakness through your strength. And we pray for our church in the nomination process with positive responses as nominees decide by next week. Dr. Charles Stanley writes, believers seek answers to prayer or relief in times of suffering, but are unwilling or diligently seeking him day by day. He says it will cost you time and energy, but the reward of knowing him intimately are worth the sacrifice. Seeking God is a lifetime pursuit. Matthew 9:37 says, "The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore that the Lord of the harvest will send laborers out into the harvest." And we ask for prayers for the needs of the people to be met at the upcoming congregational meeting and the budget that will be proposed. We pray for our worship team as it restructures our music for the next few weeks. And we pray for the women's Bible study group that began their meetings last Monday with their study of Nehemiah after a long absence of meeting personally due to the COVID-19 virus. A time of celebration for Pastor Matthew, Diana, Shiloh, Simeon, Cana, and Mariah who celebrate their first anniversary with us at Pleasant Street. Bless them and keep them in your care as they enter another year of ministry to your people and service to our Lord. And bless them as they begin their week's vacation tomorrow. Give them traveling mercies as they go about seeing your creation, spending time together as a family, and watch over them. For the Faith Promise Ministry for Missions and Pledges requested for the fiscal year 2022, we've been asked as the Ministry of Pledging continues this month, we ask for the continued support of those who have not yet pledged as we ask them to consider how God would like them to be part of this ministry with their financial contributions. When we do not know what to pray, we turn to our denominational ministers team as they post a prayer of concern for each day of the month. One of their prayers posted was, on November 11th, we remember the military service personnel who are serving or who have served their country, recognizing many gave their lives are returned forever changed. Together may we ask God to bring peace and healing for veterans and for all those whose lives have been disrupted by war. Over the past 16 months, we have seen a brutal onslaught of natural storms across the United States. The people who are affected are often left confused, hopeless, distressed, and feeling forgotten long after these storms have passed. Please join with our ministry in praying for these survivors and ask 
for wisdom as they search for best ways to help. We can't forget about world hunger as we approach Thanksgiving. In communities facing poverty, people often struggle to grow enough food, find clean water, build and rebuild after disaster, or even deal with injustice. We praise God for opportunities to come together as one in Christ, to love our neighbor. Pray with us for equipping to foster justice, love, and mercy in our work with pastors, partners, and congregations. In this week of prayer for the persecuted church, remember all who are imprisoned and suffering for their faith in Christ. May the grace and love of Christ be our ongoing witness everywhere. And may the Spirit of God break down strongholds and hardened hearts that give good news of Jesus and that it may spread to the ends of the earth. From my representatives in Michigan, they say these days are have many opportunities for congregations to tackle topics that bring out strong opinions, emotions, and responses. Talking about tough stuff is important and healthy. And pray that these conversations take place, that all may listen well, honor each other, extend much grace, and listen deeply for the Spirit's guidance. And we close by reading Philippians chapter 4. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and want. But I can do all things in his name who strengthens me. And let the people say, Amen. Good morning, Pleasant Street. Today, we will be reading from the book of Jonah, chapter 4, verses 5 to 11. So it is said, Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. And there, he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. And then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head and to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed over Jonah's head so that he grew faint and he wanted to die. And he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But what God said to Jonah was, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But God, but then the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, 
and also many animals? Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Coming to the end, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, today, across the world, people like us are sitting in small and large gatherings, and they have opened this, this book, the Bible, and they have done that because they are wanting to hear from you. And we are too. And so we ask, O oh God, that just as you are taking stories in your Bible and speaking to our brothers and sisters in other places, that you would come here among us and speak to us as well. Jonah, Jonah's been our companion for this last stretch of time. And it ends with an open question. We ask, O oh God, that in the space that opens up here at the end of the story, that you would create room for us to see ourselves in it. Amen. I had an Old Testament teacher in seminary who told very good stories. And one time he told our class a story about his father. You see, growing up in his family, like many others, his father was all but the image of respect and authority. He was the one to say grace before a meal and that sort of thing. Maybe that's familiar for some of you as well. But his father also had this habit at meals that once he had said the grace, he would put his head down and he would take his fork or his spoon and he would begin to noisily shovel food in his mouth. I imagine great slurping and chewing sounds pouring forth from this man hunched over his plate. My professor explained that as a boy, he remembered just sort of watching his father there doing this at one end of the table, shoveling away, and at the other end of the table was his mother. And he said that sometimes she would just sort of sit and stare at him in wonder, sigh, maybe shake her head. And it was like the look on her face said it all. It was like the look on her face said, I love this man. I don't know why. I've, I've, I've always thought to be that to be a, a very lovely story about he, how even though all of us make a mess, even though all of us are a bit of a contradiction, God loves us still. About how even though we have our idiosyncrasies and quirks, God loves us. But then I read Jonah, and to be honest, I find myself wondering... Because the more time that we spend with Jonah, the harder it is to actually understand how God can love a walking contradiction. 
You don't have to spend too long with Jonah to see that this is true and only becomes more so as the story goes on. He can hear God's voice, but he runs from God's voice. He savors God's mercy in the fish, but is also blind to his own self-righteousness. He obeys God in Nineveh, even as he resists God in Nineveh. He praises God for his mercy and then turns around and in the same breath begins to castigate God for that same exact character trait. Jonah is a contradiction. And that only becomes more clear and more serious as we get to chapter 4. We saw last week that Jonah's wildly successful in his preaching. Why, they even put sackcloth on the animals. <laughs> animals can't repent. Can you imagine animals wearing sackcloth? It's a pitiful sight. This is how desperate Nineveh is. They don't know. They'll try anything, right? They don't know their right hand from their left hand. But that doesn't, that doesn't make Jonah compassionate. In fact, when Jonah sees that, he tells God that it would be better for him to die than to go on like this. He seems to forget, in fact, that two chapters ago, he was praising God for exactly that, that he hadn't died. When Jonah doesn't get an answer he likes when God says, do you have the right to be angry? And so he walks away fuming, and he leaves the city, and he sits down to the east, and he builds a little shelter for himself, a, a tent. Now, what you have to know is that, that people in Jonah's world understood divine judgment to come from the east. I don't know where that is. That way? That way? Yeah, thank you. From the east. So Jonah still thinks he's right, and it's only a matter of time before God does too, or Nineveh screws up again. And so Jonah takes a front row seat just outside the blast radius, and he waits for God's cruise missile of justice to come in with the morning sun. Jonah is waiting for judgment on his enemies, sheltering under his own ramshackle self-righteousness. But God causes a plant to grow, and it grows these large leaves overnight. And those leaves shelter Jonah, and they, they ease his discomfort. And Jonah is very happy about the plant. Finally, Jonah seems to think, it's about time God takes notice and gives me a little help here. Jonah thinks this plant is a kind of reward for his hard work and his suffering, but, but that's not why God puts the plant there. In Hebrew, verse 6 there in chapter 4, it literally says that God appointed the plant to shelter Jonah from his evil. This is not a gold star for Jonah's success. This is shelter. God puts the plant there to shelter him from the very judgment he is hoping will fall on someone else. God shelters Jonah with mercy exactly at the place where Jonah sits waiting for a nuclear strike on someone else. And as the writer Jacques Ellul put it, Jonah shows that he has not really understood his own adventure. 
he has only stood only understood one thing his own sacrifice and his own faithfulness he has already forgotten the grace which was lavished on him the phrase sawing off the branch that you are sitting on comes to mind or in other words Jonah is deeply concerned about the justice of God but Jonah does not know his own right hand from his left hand you don't have to spend too long with Jonah to realize that he is a contradiction. And this is not a cute idiosyncrasy. This is really troubling. Because Jonah is just like us. I think most of us think of ourselves as pretty consistent people. Right? Secular people where I used to live, they prided themselves on being ethically consistent. It was very, very important to them. Many of us might as well, although for different reasons. We imagine ourselves to be people of our word, right? People of honor, people who keep our promises and never tell a lie, people who take the high road. We don't always realize the depth of our own incongruity. When the theologian Francis Schaeffer met people like us, he had a thought experiment that he would sometimes use. He said, suppose, suppose you had a tape recorder you know, with the push buttons? You remember those? Suppose you had a tape recorder hanging around your neck that turned on every time you made a moral judgment on someone else, right? Okay, so that was the 70s. We can update it. Suppose the phone in your pocket, right, uh, automatically uh, creates an audio file every time it hears you say the word, I can't believe he. What she really needs to do is... You know, if he were smart, he would. In other words, every time you made a moral judgment on someone else, it records you. How many moral pronouncements would you have of yourself on record for making? Thousands? So then Schaefer said, well, so if you want to know how consistent you are, how moral you are, all you got to do is take each one of those recordings and then just measure yourself by it. That's it. I don't know that I would make it through the first two. You and I are walking contradictions. And this is not an endearing quirk. It's actually deeply troubling. Martin Luther, he just owned it. Right? He, in fact, made a big old doctrine to give it a name. He said that we are all, each one of us, absurd. We are a contradiction. He said, people who follow Jesus are simul justus et peccator. We are, at the same exact time, justified and sinner. We are people sheltered by the mercy of God who yet think we have the right to swing the gavel. And this bothers people because it sounds like a get-out-of-jail-free card. I know. Like, just, just at the moment when we should be held responsible for doing something wrong, we get to say, whoops, sorry, I'm simul justus et peccator. Can't be held responsible for that. I'm a contradiction. But it's a neat quirk of being human. It's a feature, not a bug. 
Diana, would see, Diana and I would see this sometimes in, in college ministry. Years ago, we both worked in higher education at a college, and, and part of the jobs that we did, they involved conversations with students who were not following through on the commitments that they had made and signed. It's never an easy conversation to have. It's never easy to ask someone to examine the contradiction between what they said they would be and do and what they're actually being and doing. Right? But what was really interesting about it is that often you get some kind of a response like this. Maybe you can't anticipate it. Jesus was about grace, man. It's about grace, not laws. Shouldn't you give me grace? As if grace means, like, it's okay. As if the fact that I am not who I should be is a feature, not a bug. But Luther's doctrine that we are at the same time accepted by God and still sinners doesn't mean that everything is fine. It means that we do not know our right hand from our left hand, and so we cannot bear the weight of the things that we are responsible for. It means we are a contradiction. Sometimes... Sometimes, most especially at our best moments. Scott Sauls is a pastor and he's a writer in Nashville. He's passionate about seeing the mercy of God extended to all kinds of people. Uh, but even he can wind up presuming on the mercy that he wants others to know. He wrote a book a little while ago called A Gentle Answer. And, and in that book, he writes about how one time there was a stranger who walked into his church gingerly sipping a hot cup of coffee. Saul's noticed the man coming in because his clothes were filthy and his arms were full of tattoos and needle streaks. And this was not the typical crowd. His name was William. And he was one month sober and he came to church because his recovery group said it might help. Well, during worship, there is a man in fine clothes who tapped Scott on the shoulder and, and Scott says, let's just call him church guy. And church guy is upset. And church guy says to Scott, do you see that guy over there? Yeah, I see that guy over there. He has a lot of nerve coming into the house of God dressed in filthy clothes like that. Who told him it was okay to bring coffee in here anyway? Not to mention that you can smell the nicotine a mile away. He is a distraction to my worship. Do you want me to go over there, pastor, and tell him how people are supposed to behave? How... How is it that a lifelong member of a church cannot understand that the church is a hospital for sinners? I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine. Well, Scott, with rising indignation, says, no thanks, I got this. Instead, Saul connects William to a man named Mark, and Mark is also a recovering addict, and through that friendship, Christ Presbyterian Church becomes William's home. But... On the drive home that very Sunday, wouldn't you know it, but Saul's finds himself rather indignant. Who does church guy think he is, he says to himself in his drive home. Who is he to criticize and condemn this hurting visitor? Jesus did not come to call the righteous but sinners. Saul's also has some advice for God in that conversation. God, why on earth would you allow your church to be infected with smug, holier-than-thou, plank-in-the-eye, shaming, scolding church guys? As I see it, Lord, the biggest problem with your church is all these Pharisee church guys. 
Scott writes, at that very moment, at that exact moment, directly, unmistakably, God spoke to my soul and whispered, Scott, my child, to indulge this grudge, you have yourself become the very worst thing you loathe in church guy. In other words, Scott, in this moment, you are showing me that you also are a contradiction. As Saul's got out of the car at home, he remembered a story that Jesus told in Luke 15 about a father who had two lost sons and what it took to bring them home. In that story, the younger son is a contradiction, and obviously so. He takes his father's gifts and he runs away from the father. He rejects the one that he is utterly dependent upon. And when famine and debt catch up to him, he runs home in repentance. He expects nothing. He gets the fatted calf, and it's killed in his honor, and he is embraced. But the other son, the older son, when he sees this mercy, he steps out and away from the father. He is infuriated by this injustice. This brother who squandered everything now gets the rest of it splurged on him when he comes home. But what about me? What about my friends? What about my needs? What about what I want? And the father says the whole time, you already owned it all. How could you be this close to me, my son, and yet have no idea who I am? He too is a contradiction. And in the end, we see that actually there are two sons, both lost in different ways, and we are left wondering what then can be done? Who will bear the responsibility for bringing the family home? The only way is this, that the father does it. That the father bears the wounds of the younger son who wished him dead and took his stuff and then came back with nothing. And that the father bears the searing indignation of the older son who never knew him, but took advantage of all the benefits he had. In Jesus' story, the only hope for change comes from the father who must both accept his unacceptable son and who must also go get the unaccepting older brother. And in the story of Jonah, it is the same. Jonah plays both roles and he is in desperate need of God each time. In the first half of the book, Jonah rejects God's gracious call by running away. And in the second half, Jonah rejects God again, this time in indignation and pity. In both instances, what is the same is that Jonah has no leg to stand on except for God's mercy. And the question we are all left with at the end of this story is this. If Jonah can be this much of a contradiction, who can possibly bear it? We need to know because whoever it is, it's going to be painful. Who is going to bear the evil of Nineveh and the self-righteousness of Jonah? Friends, who can bear with selfish humans passing off God's work in their lives as their own? Who can bear intolerant, self-righteous servants who wait for judgment sheltered by the very mercy they're upset about? Who will accept the unacceptable and the unaccepting? Who will bear with a world of people who do not know their right hand from their left hand and yet are responsible for all of it? Because whomever it is, it's going to be excruciating. Only God. And thanks be to God as the story comes to an end. It is God who is concerned when no one else is. God is concerned 
which is a word that means to act with tears flowing in your eyes. God weeps over Nineveh. That is why he sent Jonah in the first place. And God weeps over Jonah, which is why he sends the storm and the fish and then goes to get him. And because God acts with weeping in his eyes, God sends out his word of repentance to the city. And because he weeps with tears in his eyes, he sends a plant to shelter Jonah. God is the only one who does not contradict himself. God is the only one who is consistent in his promise to rescue the world. God must be the one to save us from God. As Alal put it, in the end, the only hope that anyone has, the only hope that there is, is that God bears it, that we are sinners. And God does bear it. With tears in his eyes, God bears the evil of Nineveh and the self-righteousness of Jonah. God bears their ignorance and their responsibility. God bears it because they do not know their right hand from their left hand. And for that reason, God bears ours on a cross. And Jesus, the only righteous person there ever was, says, Forgive them, Father, for they do not know what they are doing. which is still today the only and best hope that any of us has. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, Jonah ends, but this question lingers. It echoes through our church. Should I not care? We ask that as that question rings through the end of the story and through our church, that you would also have it ring and resound in our souls. Should I not be concerned? For that question leaves us with just one answer, the best news we could ever find, which is that you do. And so we are saved. Having heard from the Lord together, and I know it's a lot, <laughs> one of the things that we do is we, we hold this treasure and we savor it. And even as we are trying to make sense of it, we also lift up our hands in trust for the good news that God has given to us. However deeply we are able to understand it, we offer up some of the money that God has given to us for the work of this congregation and ministries that we support, saying, I trust you, God, even more than I can understand it. And so as a church, we, we respond to God together with this act of tr trust by giving, both by dropping checks off in the entryway or at the church during the week or by giving online, which you can find the link through our website. Having done that together, uh, we continue our response uh, by, by splitting up for a minute. And so I want to invite our, our ECHO students to come forward. We want to bless them and dismiss them to go and ponder this story together. People of God, what is our prayer? Almighty and loving God, thank you for the gift of your word. Help us to believe what we have heard, plant it deep in our hearts, to live in ways that honor you above all. Amen.
Go in peace to love and serve Jesus. Thanks be to God. Friends, let's make our response to God together by singing. Would you please rise in body or in spirit?
Friends, in a world full of lostness, the only safe place to stand is in your Father's presence, which happens to be where you are right now. And the best news about that is that you don't have to come here to find it. God has bestowed it upon you, has blessed you with it, and it goes wherever you go this week. And so, friends, I invite you to lift your eyes to open your hands and to receive God's blessing. Go in peace in the knowledge of God's power. Go in confidence in the knowledge of God's strength. Go in joy in the knowledge of God's love. Together we say, pray with me. God the sender, send us. God the sent, go with us. God the strengthener of those who go, empower us. And we say that we may go with you and find those who will call you Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's go singing. You're the God of the city. You're the King of these people. You're the Lord of this nation. You are you're the light in the darkness you're the hope to the hopeless you're the peace to the restless you are there is no like our
peace. Have a great week.